passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. So did you guys uh, have a good Christmas? You guys did? Okay, well that's good. You may have a better Christmas than me. Mine wasn't quite that good, and that's because I came down with the flu. And so I had like the body aches and everything. Actually, I was coming down with it on Christmas Eve. So I had the body aches on Christmas Eve day, and then you power through, you know, the Christmas Eve sermon, and then the adrenaline letdown hits you when you get home. You know, it's like, oh, give me that NyQuil, I'm done. And so, we, not too good yesterday, but hey, whether it's DayQuil today, or it's the Holy Spirit, or a little bit of adrenaline, it's all working. And so we're going to power through another message from, from God's Word for you today. And I think you're really going to like this. I have really been thinking for a while and praying about this message, and I'm very excited to deliver it. So let's dive right in. Get your notes out. You're not going to want to miss what we're going to uh, give you today. Now, Christmas is by nature a very happy time of year, isn't it? Well, it's not just that we celebrate the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, but it's time with family, right? It's time when you have food together. You make good memories together. You slow down and you get a chance to be together. Christmas is a time of happiness. But you and I know that, quite honestly, it's not happy for everybody. For many people, Christmas is a time of sadness because it's not a happy house with a bunch of relatives and friends and family around. It's a time of loneliness. It's a time when they remember the good years of Christmas past, not the good times of Christmas present. And then as I was thinking about this idea with, of happiness and sadness and Christmas, it sort of brought up this whole topic in my mind. And I started thinking, you know, what does the Bible say about this whole topic of happiness and where we can ever find it and, and get it, especially when times are tough and it doesn't seem like we can get it from our circumstances here and now. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And you guys know that happiness for many people is, a, is an elusive thing. It's a hard thing to get a hold of. And it slips through their fingers like oil when they're trying to hold it in their hand. They're like, hey, today is a happy day because things are going well. 24 hours later, today is a bad day because things are going poorly. And like like a roller coaster, going up, going down. Is it a good day or is it a bad day? I don't know if I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be sad. And then for other people, happiness is something they're always looking for in the future. Because they're not happy now. Oh, they think, but someday, when I graduate, then I'll be happy. Or if I can just meet the right person and be in the right relationship, then I'll be happy. Or if I can just get married, then I'll be happy. When they're married, it's like, if I can just have children, then I'll be happy. Happy. And you see how this goes for a while, right? And as you've been around the planet for a while, you know that when you finally get your goals that you thought would make you happy, guess what? They don't make you happy. At least not in any lasting sense. My best illustration of that is when Tom Brady was being interviewed by Steve Croft after winning yet another Super Bowl. He like gets in the habit of doing those one after the other. It's like he couldn't even stop for a while. Look on the top of your outlines, what he says when he's being interviewed. He says, he says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. You can be as rich as Tom Brady, as successful as Tom Brady, and guess what? You won't be happy. Because after winning yet another Super Bowl, he wasn't happy. This brings me to the proposition that I'm going to put before you this morning, and what I'm going to teach about this morning. And that is that the only way for us to be happy is to find our happiness in God and in what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. That is the only happiness in your life that will stick. 
It is the only happiness in our life that will stay. All circumstantial happiness may be there for a moment, but it will be gone tomorrow. But what God has done for us through Jesus is permanent. Now, in your outlines, I, I'm going to quote a bunch of old dead guys, but they said some really good stuff, so I'm going to use that. Uh, George Whitefield, here's an old dead guy, but he said this well. He says, it is the end of all religion to make men happy. And by, in his context, religion is the Christian religion, not all religions. It is the end of all religion to make men happy. And it is not, and is it not everyone's privilege to be as happy as he can? Does Jesus want your heart only for the same end as the devil does to make you miserable? No, he only wants you to believe in him so that you might be saved. All the dear Savior desires is to make you happy that you may leave your sins and sit down eternally with him. George Whitefield was able to capture what so many of us fail to see. And that is that sin destroys our happiness. It always does. Satan cannot give any happiness because he's not a happy creature. So he has no happiness to give. And when Satan tempts us with what he tells us will make us happy, he knows that the sin he's tempting us with and promising will make us happy will in the end actually make us miserable. Because that is the only thing Satan can give. Misery. Sin always, no matter what it is, and what, whatever form it comes, will lead to death and destruction and unhappiness. God, on the other hand, is committed to our happiness. Did you realize that? He is. In fact, the future he holds for us is to be in a happy place and that we would be happy people around a happy God. John, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, says this. He says, no longer will there be anything accursed, no more sin in the, in the future, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. In the future, we as Christians look forward to God literally recreating the universe. That's why Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth that we look forward to, where heaven and earth are combined. And the new heaven and new earth, it's a physical earth, just like our physical earth. But what God will do is he will recreate it, stripping all the effects of sin out of it. Stripping all death, all destruction, all misery, all sadness will be raked and taken out of it, leaving in the new heavens and new earth all the good things, all the things that bring pleasure, all the things that bring happiness. Sin, it brings death and destruction even to our bodies. That is why we die. That is why we get sick. We weren't created to get sick and die. We were created to live. God didn't create disease and death to ruin us that way. Now, interestingly, when you come to the new heavens and new earth, what do we do? We get our same physical bodies back, but they're resurrection bodies. And Paul describes them as bodies of power. Bodies that are indestructible. Bodies that will last forever. Bodies that do not get tired. That do not grow weak. This is what we look forward to. We look forward to a new heavens and new earth where we will be in our own physical bodies. All death and destruction is taken away, not just from us, but the new creation itself. And it's a place of happiness. It's a place where life is the way it's supposed to be. Except it's like Eden. But the joys of the new heaven and the new earth are a thousand times better. Because remember, sin takes away happiness. God brings happiness. A new heaven and earth without sin is a place of pure and total happiness. In fact, this is what it looks forward to. Acts 3.21 
whom heaven must receive until when? Until the time of restoring of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The Bible tells us that as Christians, when we are going through difficult times in this life, hard times in this life, what that should encourage us to do is to look to our future as Christians think about our future and remember where God is going to take us in the future. The new heavens, the new earth. The, hap- the sadness we have is just for this life. But we look forward to complete and total joy and happiness in the next life, in a new creation where all sin is gone and all that remains is happiness. This is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4.18. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the things of the future for us. For the things that are seen are transient. They don't last forever. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So the only way to be consistently happy in our life today is not to get our happiness from our circumstances, which are good one moment, and quite honestly, bad the next moment. Our happy, that didn't work for Tom Brady, by the way. It's not gonna work for you. The only way to be happy is to be constantly thinking about what God has done for us through Jesus and what God will do for us through Jesus, the future that awaits us through Jesus, a place of joy and happiness forever. Folks, God is the source of all happiness. God created all happiness. Being with God in eternity is being with the source of all happiness. God radiates happiness like the sun radiates light. Imagine being with him for all eternity. That is what we look forward to. Now this brings me to another question. I think it's a good answer. So does God want us to be happy? And I'm going to begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis I think was very appropriate. C.S. Lewis said it this way, it's a Christian's duty to be as happy as they can be. Did you realize that? That we are Christians and we have a responsibility before God to be happy people? Now, how about that for serious, like your takeaway for today? And here's some of the logic that he goes through. The God we serve is always happy. If we serve a happy God to properly represent him, we need to be a happy people. Or this, the gospel message of what Jesus has done for us is, guess what? A happy message. It's a message that should make us happy. So we should be happy. By the way, nobody will turn to Jesus if they don't believe there is happiness to be found in Jesus. Isn't that true? So, be happy. Now, people will know if God is happy, and if he's a happy God, by looking at us, if we are a happy people. People will know if heaven is a happy place if we actually look forward to it. It's if we actually actually long for it and anticipate heaven. But if we don't have an appetite for heaven, we don't look forward to heaven, why would anyone be, be interested in heaven? So if we have a happy God, and to properly represent him, we should be a happy people. And the Bible says this as well. Philippians 4.4, this is one of those good memory verses. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. This word rejoice, it sounds real scriptural, but really, you know what it means? Be happy. Be happy in the Lord always. And again, I say, be happy. Now, the question I have to ask you is, if you're an unhappy person today, a dour, gloomy, and joyless person today, you have to ask God, why am I such an unhappy person? Because as a Christian, I have every reason to be happy. 
Oh, I get it, my circumstances might be difficult, but look what I'm looking forward to. Look what God has done for me that I do not deserve. If I'm worshiping a happy God, I should be a happy person. By the way, there's many other verses that talk about the importance of God's people being happy. I'll give you a few of them. Psalm 81.1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Jacob, that sounds like happiness to me. Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Sounds like happiness there. Psalm 9.2. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Sounds like happiness. Now, most of us have forgotten that throughout church history, the church has been known as a place of happiness. Did you realize that? A church is where people eat together. They sing together. They play music together. They enjoy God's gifts together because Christians are to be the happiest people on earth. Isn't that true? Why shouldn't we be the happiest people on earth? And the church, therefore, should be the happiest place on earth, not Disney World. Really, seriously. Do you understand the importance of this? So the church and Christians are to be so happy because of what God has done for us through Jesus. Now, the thing we must remember is the church is to be a happy place with happy people in spite of our circumstances. This is very important. Let me go back to Philippians 4.4 where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Essentially, be happy in the Lord always, and again I say, be happy. What was Paul going through when he wrote this letter? Anybody remember? We studied it, Philippians. Jail. He was in jail. Not a happy place. But he says, guess what? I'm happy even though I'm in jail. Because my happiness is not found in my circumstances. My happiness is found in what God has done for me through Jesus. And I'm looking forward to through Jesus. And how God has already transformed me through Jesus so I can be happy. Now this is where it gets very interesting. When circumstances get bad but God's people still remain happy? Doesn't that make the evangelistic witness of the church just that much more powerful? Because people go, why are you still happy? We have hyperinflation. Why are you still happy? Haven't you looked at the evening news? I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm mad. Why are you happy? Well, I've got something better than the evening news. I've got something better than politics. I've got Jesus. Why not be happy? So when the circumstances get bad and Christians are still happy, it shows they're where their true joy and value is found, in Jesus Christ. <coughs> I told you I was going to quote a bunch of old dead guys. Here's a really great guy. I like Octavius Winslow. This is what he said. The child of God is, from necessity, a joyful man. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. His future is a is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness. With such a God, and such a Savior, and such a hope, is he not, ought he not, to be a joyful man? I mean, can you tell that guy was Baptist? He literally, was, he, he literally is Baptist. You can just hear it in his writing the way he does this. And let me, this brings me to another question. Why does our happiness matter? As a church, our mission is to reach people with Jesus. 
But if we're gloomy Christians, if we're depressing Christians, how are we ever going to attract people to Jesus? Isn't that true? Like I said earlier, the harder the circumstances get in the world around us, yet we still have happiness because of Jesus that don't come from our circumstances, we do a better and better job of evangelizing the world. Let me give you some more quotes. I'll start with an old dead guy. Then an old living guy. We'll go with that after that. Here's the first dead guy, uh, J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican bishop in the 1800s. He said it this way, I assert without hesitation that the conversion described in Scripture is a happy thing, not a miserable one, and that if converted persons are not happy, the fault must be in themselves. I am confident the converted man is the happiest man. The happiest people on earth, he says, are Christians. Now, John Piper, he's old, but he's not dead. He's retired. He says this, If you ask me, doesn't the world need to see Christians as happy in order to know the truth of our faith and to be drawn to the great Savior? My answer is yes, yes, and yes. And they need to see that our happiness is in the indomitable work of Christ in the midst of our sorrow. When hard times hit, People need to see that our happiness don't comes from our circumstances. They come from Jesus. And this brings me to sort of a, a little rabbit trail I want to take that's important here. Former NFL quarterback and ESPN host Joe Theismann uh, was being interviewed after he had an affair on his wife. And his soon-to-be ex-wife was going to divorce him. And he he was asked, why did he have the affair? And he said this, well, I figured God wants Joe to be happy. So that's why he had an affair. This illustrates the problem. The problem is people think that to be happy, they need to indulge in sin or that would justify sin. And I teased you with this earlier in the message. No, it doesn't work that way. The devil cannot bring happiness. All he can do is bring misery. Sin, in whatever form it takes, will not bring you happiness. It will only destroy your life. The devil isn't happy. He cannot bring happiness. So this is what the devil does to get you to bite the lure. He rearranges the price tags on things. Isn't that what he does? He takes what is good and invaluable, and he says, oh, this is boring, when the reality is it brings you happiness because it's what God said is good, right, and true. And then he takes what will bring you misery, and he rearranges that price tag and says, well, this is going to bring you value and joy. So give in to that temptation. So he switched the price tags on things. And so you buy the wrong stuff and you end up with no happiness. Maybe a way to put it to you is this week I was doing some research on this and I ran across um, a, a website called What Meth Does to Your Face. You guys can look it up. I'm not going to put any of those pictures up there because they're pretty disgusting. It shows you what happens to young people's faces five years after doing meth. And it is disgusting because their face is literally rotted and falling off their skull. Now, if you showed that to a kid and said, this is what your face will look like in only five years, they'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. That's ruining my life but they don't believe that. The price tag gets switched. They say, well, I'm going to take meth because it'll make me happy. No, it won't. Sin will always, every single time, bring you death and misery. This is so important to understand. So here is how we beat temptation. And I've hammered this point for a few minutes just for this reason. Every single one of us will face temptation every day. 
we have to tell ourselves that the reason we say no to any sinful temptation is we're saying yes to greater and lasting pleasure. Every sinful temptation may produce a shred of happiness, but it'll always end in complete and total misery. No matter what it is that you are facing right now, that is the truth. But every choice to say no to temptation is a choice for your happiness and your joy and your lasting and longing pleasure. This brings me to another question. What is the difference between joy and happiness? And uh, this is something I've really been waiting to get to talk to you about because throughout the first part of this message, I intentionally and consistently talked about Christian happiness. And I could see in the first service when I was talking about this, you could see some people were really like upset. Like, why is he talking about Christians being happy? Christians are not supposed to be happy. We have joy. And maybe, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. You grew up in the same kind of church that I did, where we were told, Christians, we're not happy. That's worldly things. We have joy. And there's this idea that, you know, happiness is a bad thing. Joy is a, a good thing. And so Christians are not supposed to be a happy people. And I, I thought about that. And I researched that. And I'm going to tell you, that's just dead wrong. It is. But the vast majority of Christendom believes it. I did a Google thing between happiness and joy, you know, as I was writing the message, and I ended up with like 300 million hits on that. I'm like, apparently a lot of people think there's a relationship between happiness and joy, and you can't have both at the same time, and they're mutually exclusive. Let me uh, just show you John Piper, because maybe you think I'm wrong. I think John Piper says it real well, and you guys probably respect him more than you respect me. Uh, this is what he says. If you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its use of the language of happiness and joy, contentment and satisfaction. In other words, happiness and joy are synonyms in the Bible. They're not antonyms. They're not opposites and distinct categories like many of us were taught to believe. They're the same thing. And if you're like me, you say, well, it's nice. You better prove it. So let's do that. Let's go right to the Bible. Esther 8.16. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. Sounds like they mean the same thing, don't they? Psalm 68 verse 3. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sounds like the same thing. This refutes the fact that, number one, the Bible does talk about happiness, where some people will tell you that it doesn't talk about happiness. It also refutes the fact that happiness and joy have contrasting meanings. As I did more research on this, I found that when you go to the older theologians, like more than a hundred years ago, they constantly talked about the happiness of Christians. And they used that very word. I'll give you an example here. Richard Baxter, writing in the 1600s, says this, the day of death is a true, to, a day of death is to true believers a day of happiness and joy. In his mind, they're the same things. I don't have enough space in your outlines to put all these in. You want to go to Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards constantly talks about Christians being happy people. Now I was thinking, so where did this start? This idea that happiness is a worldly thing and joy with a stiff upper lip is a Christian thing and that they're different things and we shouldn't be happy because we're Christian. Where did this whole thing start? It's not in the old theologians. It's only in the more recent theologians from the last hundred years. 
in my preparation for this message, uh, one of the books I read was the book on happiness by Randy Alcorn, and he does a pretty extensive research into this very topic. And he goes all the way back. He says, I think it began with Oswald Chambers. Do you guys remember reading his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest? Anybody read that one? Yeah, I read it. I read it. And this is what he says, and I think this came out of his devotional. It's around the 1900s. He says, happiness is no standard for men and women because happiness depends on my being determinedly ignorant of God and his demands. Joy should not be confused with happiness. In fact, it's an insult to Jesus Christ to use the word happiness in connection with him. Joy is not happiness. There is no mention in the Bible of happiness for a Christian, but there is plenty said about joy. I have to tell you, no disrespect to Oswald Chambers, but he's dead wrong. <laughs> I mean, he's just, just dead wrong. It's just not true. I gave you two verses that show you happiness and joy being used together in the Bible. Do you want 18 more? There's plenty. I thought to myself, you know, maybe the reason that Oswald Chambers said this is he was using the old King James. Maybe it's just, they're just not found in the old King James, and that's why he said that. Then I went and looked in the old King James from the 1900s, and guess what? There's plenty of times happiness is used in the Bible, and it's even used of Christians. For instance, John 13, 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Or James 5.11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. So I'm sorry. He's wrong. And because the vast majority of Christendom have followed that idea that there's a difference between happiness and joy, I believe a lot of people have been led astray. And here's why I'm really happy that he's wrong. Because folks, every single one of us wants to be happy. Isn't that true? And when we're told that when you go to God, he doesn't care about you being happy, why would you ever go to him? He does care about you being happy. He is the source of all happiness in the world. He sent his son to bring you back to him so that you and I would be able to be a happy people like a happy God. And it's been misrepresented in the world. Theologians of the 1600s understood this. 1700s understood this. 1800s understood this. You get to the 1900s, all of a sudden, it seems they followed Oswald Chambers, and I think they've misrepresented our Jesus. Now, what role does happiness play in the gospel message? Yesterday, we celebrated Christmas. And I so much wanted to talk about this on Christmas Eve, but I had to wait till today. It says this, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all all people. Jesus has come. It's good news of great joy. Literally, that's the Greek word mega. It's mega joy, mega happiness. The fact that Jesus has come, the gospel is here. The gospel message is a message of happiness. When we share the gospel message with people, it's not like, hey, I want to make you follow my religion. No, I want you to be happy. I want to bring you to the God who can make you happy. Satan just wants you to have misery. Now we often say, well, I want to use the term joy. Well, you can if you want, but joy and happiness are really, as we said, interchangeable. They're not exclusively different. To prove this to you further, let's go to Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, How beautiful are upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of what? 
happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now you say, well, this is just the Old Testament. Paul quotes this section of Isaiah in Romans chapter 10, talking about the gospel. It is good news of happiness for God's people. Think about this. Sin, suffering, Satan, it's all about misery. Jesus, salvation, it's all about freedom from sin. It's about reconnecting with the God of happiness. It's about being in heaven, which is a happy place. That's why the scripture says this about the gospel. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's what it is. Now I've really tried to hammer home this point that God is the source of all happiness in the world. That what God has done for us through Jesus is the source of all happiness in our life. It's such a big deal that we should find happiness in spite of our circumstances because of him. I mean, I really hammered that for a while. We have to be a happy people. But sometimes you could take this too far and say, well, if I'm supposed to be happy in Christ and in all these spiritual things, then I should avoid earthly things. You know, become so heavenly minded, we're not earthly good on things. That's where people can go with this. I don't want you going there. So this is a little guardrail. Is finding happiness in earthly pleasures unspiritual? And the answer is absolutely not. In our longing for Christ, we must not disdain the pleasures of this world that God has given us. He gave us those pleasures for a reason. God gave you taste buds so that you can enjoy the food and thank him for the food. God gave you ears. One of the reasons is so you can listen to music and thank him for that music. God gave you family so you could enjoy companionship and closeness and thank him for those things. You see, what the world does, the world takes these earthly pleasures and then the world worships those earthly pleasures. As Christians, we take those earthly pleasures and we worship our God through those gifts. We don't worship the gifts instead of God. We worship God through the gifts and we thank him for the gift. Right now I'm doing premarital counseling with a number of couples. And with those couples, as they're going through that, what they're going to find is they're going to say, you know, I am so thankful that God has created this thing called marriage. And I'm so thankful that God made us male and female and enabled us to come together. And marriage is a really good thing. And when you enjoy marriage, you say, God, thank you for creating marriage. And you thank God for that good gift. You don't worship the good gift as Christians. We thank him for the good gift. Look what it says here in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. It says, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always by your love. To summarize, God says, I created sex. I created marriage. I hope you enjoy it. And when you do, thank me for it. So we don't disdain earthly pleasures. As Christians, we enjoy earthly pleasures, but we, as we enjoy them, we let them lead us back to God in thankfulness and worship to God. Too many times what happens is people think that it's just the worldly people who have fun out there. People who are far from Christ are the ones that enjoy life. They think Christians are all repressed, rule-orientated, boring people. Nope, not at all. That's not the way we are. We enjoy the pleasures of this world that God has given us, but when we enjoy them, we don't worship them, we thank God for them. 
one of my sons loves to hunt. He loves to go out there with his dog. He loves to hunt. And you know what? It's a good thing. God gave you this earth. Hunt on this earth. Enjoy the beauty of this earth. Enjoy you know, the trees and the birds. But as you enjoy those things, use them to thank God for those things. It should lead you to worship. Um, many of you may not know this, but when I was younger, I went on a lot of different mission trips as a youth and young adult. And one time I came back from a mission trip where I had spent a bunch of time in South America in a really relatively poor part of the world. And I got into my car and I turned the key. At that time, I had a V8 Camaro. You know, and I had gutted out the exhaust. And I turned that key after I came back and I could hear the rumble of that engine. And spontaneously, I couldn't help it. I just stopped, put my head back in the seat, and I said, Oh, God, thank you for being so good for giving me a car a car, because where I had spent that summer, very few people had a car. And if they did, it was falling apart. And yet, God, you had been so good to give me a good gift of a transportation. But isn't that what God wants us to do in all of his good gifts? When you have a good meal, what should we do? Oh, God, thank you for giving me this meal and giving me the taste buds to enjoy it, and the family to be around the table with me. What a wonderful gift. Thank you for being such a good giver. Thank you for giving me happiness. And if I like this happiness now, imagine how much better the happiness is going to be in eternity with you. That's what we look forward to. Philippians says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. He says, enjoy things. Just make sure the things you're enjoying are good things, wholesome things, things that build you up, not tear you down. And then he also says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty on riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If God has provided you with good gifts in your life, enjoy those things, but then use that to help you worship and thank God through those things because he's been so good to give you those things. Don't despise them. That brings us to another point. Six, what does the Bible say about God's happiness? The only way you and I are ever going to follow God, truly follow God, deep inside your heart follow God, is if you are convinced that God is a very happy God and you're convinced that he loves you and that he is committed to your happiness. Because if you believe that, that God is truly happy and that he deeply loves you and he desperately wants you to be happy, won't you follow him? Won't you pursue him and love him and not be distracted away from him? Well, let's look at some scripture. Jesus in John 10.10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, Satan only wants you to have misery. But I came to give you life. And not boring life, abundant life is what he says. Jesus says, I have your best interests at heart. Not your worst interests at heart. Let's go to Zephaniah in the Old Testament. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now Zephaniah is talking about the people of God in the Old Testament times, but it's not a stretch to say the feelings and emotions that God had for his people in the Old Testament are no different when it comes to us, to you and me in the New Testament. And what does it say? He is a mighty one who will save us. 
he rejoices over us with gladness. Did you have family yesterday? Family around the table? Remember how good it was, especially for the moms, when the kids come home, when they're all around the table? You know, mom, she's in her glory to have all the chickens around the nest again. She's filled with gladness. Well, if you think mom's happy, God is incredibly happy over you. That's how he feels about you. And notice what it says here. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Mom was not so happy that she burst out into song. But God is so happy over you. He loves you so much that he literally burst out, burst out in singing over you and me. That is how much he loves us as his children. He is definitely committed to our happiness. And he is a happy God by his own nature. It says this in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All happiness to be found in this world finds its source in one place. God. As I said earlier, God radiates happiness like the sun radiates light. The closer we are to God, the happier we will be. Sin, it pulls us away from God. It will always lead to misery, pain, and death. You guys know the fruit of the Spirit? When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in you and there's these qualities that come out of you. Start going through those. The fruit of the Spirit is love, because God is love. It is joy. Wait a minute. That's happiness. The Holy Spirit is in you. How can you not be a happy person? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. When God is in you, you will be filled with joy. Now, I've kept you a little long on this stuff. I'm looking at my time here. So I'm going to race through the end and the practical stuff. What are some practical ways for us to cultivate happiness? Number one, or A, I should say, train your brain to center your thoughts on my identity in Jesus, not the evening news. I don't know if you've realized this, but the evening news, it has a job. It's to make you unhappy. It's to show you everything that's wrong with the world, everything that should be getting you concerned and fired up in the world, because that way you'll go back and look at them the next day. See, the problem is they want to make you a gloomy person, an unhappy person. And if you keep feeding that into your brain, then you will be an unhappy person in public around other people. So instead of the evening news, feed yourself the truth of who you and I are in Jesus Christ. And what God has done for us and his plans for us, you feed that into your brain regularly, consistently, in a daily way. You will be a happy person. And shut off the news. It'll do us some good. The next one. Say no to worry and trust God when it comes to the future. You know what worry is? Worry is experiencing the pain of what could happen but hasn't actually yet happened. It's like experiencing pain when you don't even have to experience pain. But guys, we serve a God who holds the future. And he holds us in the palm of his hand. Who, remember, desperately loves us. Who sings over us with joy and has good plans for us. So why worry about the future? Leave the future in God's hands and you'll be a lot happier of a person. Next, remember that wise choices lead to happiness. Unwise choices will always lead to sadness. And uh, I was going to point out here, Proverbs 4, 14 through 15, do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on it. What he is talking about here is really be careful about who your friends are. 
Make wise choices about who your friends are. You make unwise choices, and you're not going to make wise decisions. And you're going to end up being a sad person, not a happy person. And lastly, devoting myself to bringing others' happiness will actually bring me happiness. Remember Jesus says this, it's always better to give than to receive. You're happier when you're giving the Christmas gift than when you're opening the Christmas gift. Who do you think gave the most and suffered the most to give in this world? One answer, we're a church, you can figure it out. Jesus, right? Yeah. But who do you think is the happiest person in the world? Jesus. He's the happiest person in the world because he gave the most to make us happy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to look at happiness from your word. We want to confess that many times we're just sometimes not a happy people. Caught up in politics, caught up in news. And that's just not the way it's to be. You have been so good to us through your son. I ask that you would help us to be happy as a people, the church to be an incredibly happy place, and that you would use that as an evangelistic tool here in Crosswinds because everyone wants to be happy. And when they can't find it in the world around them and in the circumstances around them, may they be drawn into the church where they can experience a happiness that sticks, a happiness that stays, a happiness that comes from you because you have saved us and chosen us and loved us and we do not deserve it at all. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.